Section 14 of The Pastor's Wife by Elizabeth von Arnim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 14 You see, said Ingeborg, most of the blood in her body surging up into her face as she suddenly, after ten minutes' silent struggle, leaned across the table and plunged into the inevitable. My feeling so uncomfortable about a simple thing like this is really the measure of the subjection of women. Herr Dremmel raised his head, but not his eyes, from his book, expressing thereby both a civilized attentiveness to anything she might wish to say, and a continued interest in the sentence he was at. When he had finished it, he looked at her over his spectacles and inquired if she had spoken. "'Why should I not go and come unquestioned?' she asked, flushed with indignation that his prejudices should be forcing her to the low cunning that substituted boots for Italy. "'You do?' He examined her impartially. "'What do I do, Ingeborg?' he asked with patience. "'Go away when you want to, and come back when you choose. "'You've been quite far. "'You went once to a place the other side of Berlin. "'Oh, I know it's business you go on, "'but I don't think that makes it any better. "'On the contrary, it isn't half as good a reason as going "'because it's beautiful to go, and fine, and splendid, "'and it isn't as though I even had to ask you to give me money for it.' I simply roll in that hundred a year you allow me. I haven't spent a quarter of it for years. My cupboard upstairs is stuffed with notes. He looked at her, but finding it impossible to discover any meaning in her remarks, began to read again. Robert? With patience he again removed his eyes from his book and looked at her. Beneath the table she was pressing her hands together, twisting them about in her lap. "'Well, Ingeborg,' he said, "'don't you think it's unworthy, the way women have to ask permission to do things?' "'No,' said Herr Dremmel, but he was thinking of the Minus Varienten, and it was mere chance that he did not say yes. "'When husbands go away they don't ask their wives permission.' and it never would occur to the wives that they ought to. So why should the wives have to ask the husbands? Herr Dremmel gazed at her a moment, and then made a stately, excluding, but entirely kindly movement with his right hand. Ingeborg, he said, I am not interested. And he began to read again. She poured herself out some tea, drank it hastily and hot, and said with a great effort, it's nonsense about permissions. I... I'm going to Berlin. Then she waited with her heart in her mouth, and both hands clutching the edge of the table. But nothing happened. He read on. Robert, she said, once more, he endeavored to place his attention at her disposal, dragging it away reluctantly from his book. Yes, Ingeborg, he said. Robert, I'm going to Berlin. "'Are you, Ingeborg?' he inquired with perfect mildness. "'Why? I've got to get things. Shop. And why Berlin, Ingeborg? Is not Muke nearer? Boots,' she said. "'There aren't any in Muke. I never saw any in Muke. And in Konigsberg? That also is nearer than Berlin.' "'You must have heard,' she said, laying hold, because she was afraid of the first words that came into her head, of Berlin wool. Well, the same thing exactly applies to boots. He stared at her as one who feels about for some point of contact with an alien intelligence. Naturally, if you have to go, you must, he said. Yes, for ten days. Ten, Ingeborg, on account of boots? She nodded defiantly her hands beneath the table twisted into knots. He adjusted his mind to the conception. Ten days for boots? Ten. Ten, she said recklessly, prepared to brave any amount of opposition, 
i want to see a few things while i'm about it the galleries for instance it isn't going to be all boots i haven't stirred from here since our marriage except to go to zopat it's time i went it's really ridiculously time i went but said herr dremmel with a complete reasonableness of one who is indifferent and has no desire whatever to argue but naturally of course ingeborg then you don't mind but why should i mind you you're not even surprised but why should i be surprised and once again he reflected on her apparently permanent obtuseness to values she gazed at him with the astonishment of a child who has screwed itself up for a beating and finds itself instead being blessed she felt relief but a pained relief an aggrieved almost angry relief such as he feels who putting his entire strength into the effort to lift a vessel he fears is too heavy for him finds it light and empty her soul as it were tumbled over backwards and sprawled how funny she murmured how very funny and here i've been afraid to tell you but once more he had ceased to listen his eye had been caught by a statement on the page in front of him that interested him acutely and he read with avidity to the end of the chapter then he got up with the book in his hand and went to the door thinking over what he had read she sat looking after him i expect i think i suppose i shall start to-morrow she said as he opened the door start he repeated absently why should you start oh robert i can't get there if i don't start get where ingeborg he asked his eyes on hers but his thoughts in unimaginable distances oh robert but to berlin of course berlin yes very well berlin and deeply turning over the new and pregnant possibilities suggested to him by what he had just been reading he went out chapter thirty two as though to assure her of what she already knew that she was on the threshold of the most glorious ten days of her life the world when she looked out the window next morning was radiant with sunshine and sparkling with freshness far away on the edge of russia the great rain-clouds that had come up to kokensee from the west and folded it for two days in a stupor of mist were disappearing in one long purple line the garden glistened and laughed sweet fragrances from the responsive earth hurried to meet the sun like eager kisses if she had needed reassuring this happy morning warm and scented would have done it but now that the night was over the time when those who are going to have doubts do have them and the dark sodden days when if facts are going to be blurred they are blurred she felt no scruples nor any misgivings she had simply got to the beginning of the most wonderful holiday of her life everything was easy robert went away after an early breakfast to his fields to see the improvement forty-eight hours soaking must have made and obviously did not mind her impending departure in the least one of the horses till lately lame was recovered karl told her and able to take her in to Muke. the servant clara seemed proud to be left in sole charge the train left muke so conveniently that she would have time to visit robertlet and ditty on the way singing she packed her smallest trunk singing she thrust money from the cupboard where it had so long lain useless into her blouse one two three ten blue german notes of a hundred marks each while she wondered but not much if it would be enough and wondered but equally not much if it would be too little singing she pinned on unfamiliar objects such as a hat and veil and sought out gloves singing she handed over the keys to clara singing she stood on the steps watching karl harness the horses 
all the birds of kokensee were singing too and the pig sunning itself in a thick ecstasy of appreciation also sang according to its lights and it was not its fault she thought excusingly if what happened when it sang was that it grunted life is really the heavenliest thing she said to herself buttoning her gloves her face sober with excess of joy the things it has round its corners the dear surprises of happiness and when the buttons came off she didn't mind but excused them too on the ground that they were not used to being buttoned and let her gloves happily dangle she would have excused everything that day she would have forgiven everybody every sin clara brought her out a packet of sandwiches with her luggage and a little bunch of rain-washed flowers how kind every one is she thought smiling at clara wondering if she would mind very much if she kissed her her heart one single all-embracing thank you that reached right round the world and then suddenly just as car was ready and the carriage was actually at the door and the little trunk being put into it and her umbrella and sandwiches and flowers she ran back into the house and scribbled a note to robert and put it on the table in his laboratory where he would not be able to avoid seeing it when he came in that afternoon i can't not tell him was the thought that had winged her impulse i can't not tell the truth this heavenly god-given day of joy it wasn't true about the boots she wrote inking her gloves too frantically hurried to take them off i'm going to italy with mr ingram to venice it's his picture and of course other things too on the way if you think it over you won't really mind i must run or i'll miss the train ingeborg and she climbed up into the carriage and drove off greatly relieved and strong in her faith if you gave him time and quiet in robert's understanding of a thing so transparently reasonable she would write again she said to herself a real letter from berlin and put her points of view and ingram's before him of course that was the right thing to do of course a highly intelligent man like robert was bound ultimately to understand but her train did not get to berlin till eleven o'clock that night and when she reached the christlich hospice she found a letter from ingram telling her she must be at the anhalter station next morning at nine and though she meant to get up early and write she spent the time being very tired asleep instead and it was only when the strains of a harmonium penetrated into her room and wandered round her head making slow lutheran noises that she woke up and realized how nearly she was on the verge of missing the train to italy breakfastless and prayerless and almost without paying her bill she hurried forth from the christlich hospice her clothes full of an odd smell of naphthalin and the meals that had been eaten there before she arrived the ancient meals of all the yesterdays from the smell she concluded cautiously and reluctantly sniffing while she put down both windows of her cab that what they had to eat in the christlich hospice was the corrals of the harmonium expressed in cabbage and whether it was the cab or whether it was her clothes she did not know but there inside it with her still was cabbage it's the odour of piety she explained hastily to ingram when he on meeting her at the station looked at her with what she thought a severe inquiry it's that you're within an ace of missing the train he said catching hold of her elbow and hurrying her down the platform to a door that still stood open with an angry official glaring dreadfully in spite of his tip waiting beside it to shut it i'm so sorry she said panting a little as she dropped into a corner of the carriage opposite him 
and the train slipped away from the station. But I couldn't get here any sooner. Why couldn't you? he asked, still severely, for he had spent a distressing and turbulent half-hour. You only had to get up in time. But I couldn't get up because I was asleep. Nonsense, Ingeborg. You could tell them to call you. Well, but I didn't tell them. And why don't you button your gloves? Here, I'll button them. You can't. There aren't any buttons. What? No buttons? They came off. But why in heaven's name didn't you sew them on again? Do buttons matter? I was in such a tremendous hurry to start. And she smiled at him, a smile of perfect happiness. To come to me, to come to me, he said, his eyes on hers. Yes, and Italy. Italy. Well, you very nearly missed me. What would you have done then? Oh, gone to Italy? What, just the same? Well, Italy is Italy, isn't it? Look at this sky. Isn't it wonderful today? Isn't it perfectly glorious? Can the sky in Italy possibly be bluer than this? He made an impatient movement. Choir boy, he said, and added, catching sight of her fingertips, why is your glove all over ink? Because I wrote to Robert in it. What? You came away without saying anything at all? Oh, no, I said all the things about Berlin and shopping, and he didn't mind a bit. There, now, didn't I tell you? But what did you write? Oh, just the truth, that I am going with you to Italy. What? You did? I couldn't bear, after all, to start like that, in that that lying sort of way. And you wrote that you were going with me. Yes, and I said, and he'll find the letter when he comes in. Yes, he can't help seeing it. I put it on his laboratory table, right in the middle. Ingram leaned forward, his face flushed, laughter and triumph in his eyes, and caught hold of her right hand in its inky glove. Adorable ink-stains, he said, looking at them, and then looking up at her. You little burner of ships! And as she opened her mouth in what was evidently going to be a question, he hurried her away from it with a string of his phrases. You are all happiness, he said, with an energy of conviction, astonishing at half-past nine in the morning and all the music, and all the color, and all the fragrance there is in the world. Then you haven't noticed the cabbage? she asked, immensely relieved. He let go her hand. What cabbage? he asked shortly, for it nettled him to be interrupted when he was spinning images. And it more than nettled him to be interrupted in the middle of an emotion and when she began vividly to describe the inner condition of the chrysalic hospice he stopped her i don't want to talk of anything ugly to-day he said not to-day of all days in my life and he added leaning forward again and looking into her eyes ingeborg do you know what to-day is thursday said ingeborg the conductor it was a corridor train and though they had the compartment to themselves the passage outside was busy with people squeezing past each other and begging each other's pardons came in to look at their tickets there is a restaurant car on the train he said in german giving information with prussian care a disciplinary care for the comfort of his passengers who were to be made comfortable to be forced to use the means of grace provided or the authorities would know the reason why yes said ingram you do not change said the conductor with prussian determination that his passengers should not even if they wanted to and liked it go astray no said ingram not until basil said the conductor menacingly almost as if he wanted to pick a quarrel no said ingram at a basil you change said the conductor eyeing him ready to leap on opposition yes said ingram you will arrive at Basel at eleven forty to-night, said the conductor, in tones behind which hung, do you hear? You've just got to. Yes, said Ingram, at Basel. 
oh go to hell said ingram suddenly violently and in his own tongue the conductor immediately put his heels together and saluted from the extreme want of control of the gentleman's manner he knew him at once for an officer of high rank disguised for travelling purposes in civilian garments and silently and deferentially withdrew if there's a restaurant car can i have some breakfast asked ingeborg haven't you had any you poor little thing come along she followed him out into the corridor he going first to clear people out of the way and turning to give her his hand at the crossings from one coach to the next the restaurant was in the front of the train and it required perseverance and the opening of many difficult doors to get to it each time he turned to help her and gripped hold of her hand as they swayed against the sides and were bumped they looked at each other and laughed what fun it all was she thought and how entirely new and delicious being taken care of as though she were a thing that mattered a precious thing he had had breakfast in berlin but he sat watching her with an alert interest that missed not the smallest of her movements very reminiscent in his attitude and pleasure of a cat watching its own dear mouse observing it with a whiskered relish its own dear particular mouse that it has ached for for years before it ever met it filling itself dismally meanwhile with the wrong mice who disagreed with it its mouse that annexed and safely incorporated was going to do it so much good and make it twice the eat it was before and he buttered her roll for her and poured out her tea and did all the things a cat would do in such a situation if it were a man pleased that its mouse should fatten aware that anything it ate and drank would ultimately so to speak remain in the family the splendid june morning the last morning of june shone golden through the long continuous windows of the car the fields of the mark lay bathed in light it was early still but it had already begun to be hot and haymakers straightening themselves to watch the train go by wiped their faces and the prudent cows were gathered in the shade of trees and in the ear the ventilator twirled and hummed and the waiter in his white linen jacket who brought her strawberries each one of which had been examined and passed as fit and sound by the proper authorities suitably housed in berlin in buildings erected for the purpose was a credit to the prussian state railway by-law which decrees briefly and implacably that waiters shall be cool she pulled out one of the blue german hundred mark notes from her blouse when he brought the bill and more of them came out with it what on earth is all that for ingram asked to pay with and you must tell me how much my ticket was to wasn't it locarno you said we got out at you can't go about with money loose like that give it to me i'll take care of it for you she gave it to him nine blue notes out of her blouse and the change of the tenth out of the little bag she had brought and was finding great difficulty so much unused was she to little bags in remembering i hope it's enough she said don't forget i've got to get back again he laughed tucking the notes away into his pocket-book enough it's a fortune you can go to the end of the world with this he said isn't it all glorious isn't it all too wonderful to be true she said her face radiant and the most glorious part of it is that you can't go anywhere now he said putting the pocket-book in his breast pocket and patting it and looking at her and laughing without me but i don't want to i'd much rather go with you it's so extraordinarily sweet that you want me to you know i never can quite believe it he bent across the table little glory of my heart he murmured 
the waiter came back with the change i wish robert were here said ingeborg gazing round her out of the windows with immense contentment if only he could have got away i believe he'd have loved it ingram pushed back his chair with a jerk i don't think he'd have loved it at all he said and going back through the length of the train to their compartment though he helped her at the difficult places it was by putting out his hand behind him for her to clutch he did not this time turn round and look into her eyes and laugh it grew very hot as the day wore on and extremely dusty the thunderstorm that had deluged east prussia had not come that way and there had been no rain from the look of things for a long while the dust came in in clouds and they were obliged to shut the windows but it still came in through chinks and settled all over them and choked them and even lay in the delicate details of ingeborg's nose he had made her take off her hat and veil so she had nothing to protect her and he watched her with a singular annoyance turning gradually drab-coloured he wanted to lean forward and dust her he hated to see her whiteness being soiled it fidgeted him intolerably he himself stood long train journeys badly but though it was so hot so insufferably hot she was as active and restless as a child continually jumping up and running out into the dreadful blazing corridor to see what there was to see that side they passed weimar and she was of an intemperate zeal on the subject of goethe putting down the window and craning out to look and quoting kennst du das lund wo die citron blut quoting to him who loathed quotations even in cool weather they passed eisenrock and again she displayed zeal talking eagerly of luther and the wartburg and the ink-pot and the devil and of st elizabeth of course he knew she would get to st elizabeth she told him the legends told him who knew all legends told him who had a headache and could only keep alive by going into the laboratory and plunging his head every few minutes into cold water and she did not in the least mind when she craned out of the window to look at things that she should come back into the carriage again with her hair in every sort of direction and her face not only dusty but with smuts at the hottest moment of the day he felt for a lurid instant as if it were not one choir-boy he was with but the entire choir having its summer treat and being taken by him single-handed for a long dog-day to the crystal palace but that was after luncheon in the restaurant car a luncheon that seemed to his fevered imagination to consist of bits of live cinder served in sulphur and eaten in a heaving swaying lake of brimstone even the waiter who attended to their table was in the teeth of regulations a melted man and when the inspector passed through looking about him with the eye of a prussian eagle to see that all was in order and the standard set by law was being reached of cool waiters and hot food and tepid passengers he instantly pounced on the manifestly melted waiter who unable to deny the obvious fact that he was beaded put his heels together and endeavoured to escape a fine by anxious explanation that he knew he was in a perspiration but that it was a cold one they were having tea when they passed frankfurt and dinner when they passed heidelberg a great full moon was rising behind the castle at heidelberg and the neckar was a streak of light the summer day was coming to an end in perfect calm the quiet roads leading away into woods and through orchards were starred on either side with white flowers 
in the dusk it was only the white flowers that still shone the switchworts the clusters of star of bethlehem the spikes of white helleborine and all the colours of the day the blue of the chicory and delicate lilac of dwarfed mallows the bright yellow of wood loosestrife and rose-colour of campions were already put out for the night ingeborg gazed through the window with the face of a happy goblin her eyes looked brighter than ever out of their surrounding smuts and her hair was all ends little upright ends that stirred in the draught the dreadful day the hours and hours of heat and choking airlessness had made no impression on her apparently except to turn her from clean to dirty while ingram lay back in his corner a thing hardly human wanting nothing now in the world but cold water poured over him and he to lie while it was poured on a slab of iced marble but the sun was down at last dew was falling and quieting the dust and the final journey to the restaurant car had been made a journey on which it was ingeborg who opened the doors and nobody helped anybody at the crossings he had walked behind her and had fretfully observed her dress and how odd it was like old back numbers of illustrated papers the sleeves wrong the skirt wrong too much of it in places too little in others but mostly there was too much for it was the year when women were skimpy you'll have to get some clothes in italy he said to her at dinner what for she asked surprised what for to put on he said with a limp acerbity but now at last between strasbourg and bale when all glare had finally departed and the lamp in their compartment was muffled into grateful gloom by the shade he drew across it and the windows were wide open to the great dusky starry night and a thousand dewy scents were stirred in the fields as the train passed through them he began to feel better at his suggestion she had gone out and washed her face so that he could look at it again delicately fair in the dusk with satisfaction and presently because of some curves the rails took the moon shone in on her while he still sat in shadow and her face turned upwards to the stars with the wonder on it of her happiness once more seemed to him the most spiritual thing he had yet found in a woman unconscious spirit exquisitely independent and aloof he watched her out of the shadow of his corner for a long time taking in every curve and line trying to fix her look of serenity and clear content on his memory the expression of an inner tranquillity of happy giving oneself up to the moment that he had not seen before except in children to watch her like that soothed him gradually quite out of the fever and fret of the day as his habit was he forgot his other mood as if he had never had it growing cool and comfortable with the growing coolness of the night his irritations and impatiences and desire it had for several hours in the afternoon been paramount with him for personal absence from her were things wiped out of recollection he forgot in the quiet of her attitude that she had ever been restless and in her expressive and beautiful silence that she had ever quoted and watching her whiteness that she had ever been drab she was he thought considering her his head very comfortable now on the cushions and a most blessed draught deliciously lifting his hair like the soft breast of a white bird she was like diamonds only that she was kind and gentle she was like spring water on a thirsty day she was like a very clear delicate white wine yes but what was it she was most like he searched about for it in his mind his eyes on her face 
and presently he found it and leaned forward out of the shadow to tell her ingeborg he said and at the moment he entirely meant it you are like the peace of god chapter thirty three at bale there was hurry and bustle the half-hour they ought to have had there wasted away by some unaccountable loosening of the bandages of discipline on the german side to four minutes the conductor when questioned said the engine had gone wrong and explained with a shrug that was to help hide his shame in this failure of the infallible that engines were but human and again there was an undignified scamper down steps and up steps and along platforms and they arrived panting pushed in by porters only just in time into a compartment studded round with sleeping swiss ingram left ingeborg sitting temporarily on the edge of the seat clasping her umbrella and coat and little bag while he walked through the train in search of more space refusing to believe such a repulsive thing could happen to him as that he should be obliged to travel to bellinazona with four sleeping swiss but the train seemed to be a popular one else a national festival was preparing or some other upheaval that caused people to move about that night in numbers and all the compartments were full he went back to ingeborg in a condition of resentful gloom the four swiss were sleeping in the four corners and the carriage smelt of crumbs he opened the window and there was an immediate simultaneous resurrection of the four swiss into angry life ingram fluent in french met them with an equal volubility standing with his back to the open window protecting it from their assaults while ingeborg looked on in alarm but the conductor when he came pronounced in favour of the four swiss pacified they instantly fell asleep again and ingram at least not taking care of their legs strode out into the corridor where he stood staring through the open window at midnight nature and cursing himself for not having broken the journey at bale while ingeborg peeped anxiously at his back round her coat and her umbrella from bale to lucerne he was as unaware of her as if he had never met her so very angry was he and so very tired then at lucerne to the swiss got out and turning round he saw her asleep in the compartment tumbled over a little to one side still holding her things and once again she filled his heart she was utterly asleep in the most uncomfortable position dropped away in the middle of how she happened to be sitting like a child does or a puppy he went in and sat down beside her and lifted her head very cautiously and gently on to his arm she opened her eyes and looked up at him along his sleeve without moving in a sort of surprise this is lucerne he whispered bending down how soft she was and how little is it why that's where robert and i but she was asleep again she slept till he woke her up before bellinazona and so she never knew the moment she had thrilled to think of when they would in the dawn of the summer morning come out on the other side of the st gothard into what in spite of anything the swiss might say was italy and still half asleep mechanically putting on her hat and pausing to rub her eyes while he urged her to be quick she did not realize where she was when she did and looked eagerly at the window it was to turn to him immediately in consternation oh she said yes said ingram passing his hand quickly over his hair a gesture of his when annoyed it was raining they got out on to what seemed the most melancholy platform in the world 
a grey wet junction with grey level sky low down over it and over all the country round it the locarno train was waiting and they went to it in silence it was a quarter to six a difficult time of day the train almost empty jogged slowly through the valley of the ticino down the windows raindrops chased each other on the road alongside the railway a road bound also for locarno and dreary with brown puddles an occasional high cart crawled drawn by a mule and driven by a huddled human being beneath a vast umbrella the lake when they came in sight of it was a yawn of mist ingeborg stared out at these things in silence it was incredible that this should be italy again in spite of anything the swiss might say while on the other side of the alps all germany including kokensee lay shimmering in light and colour ingram sat in the farthest corner of the carriage his hands thrust in his pockets his hat pulled over his eyes looking straight in front of him he was a mass of varied and profound exasperations everything exasperated him even to the long trickle slowly creeping towards him down the floor from ingeborg's wet umbrella there was nothing she could have said or done at that moment that would not have rubbed his exasperation into a flame of swift and devastating speech luckily she said and did nothing but sat quite silent with a face turned away towards the blurred window-panes but if she did not speak or do she yet was and he was acutely conscious though he never took his eyes off the cushions opposite of every detail of her in that grey and horrible light of her crumpled clothes her drooping smudginess her hat grown careless and her hair in wisps he had wanted to show her italy he had extraordinarily wanted to show her italy in its summer magnificence and there was this as a result what he now extraordinarily wanted was to upbraid her he did not stop to analyze why at the hotel in locarno where they went for baths and breakfast he had planned originally to show her the beautiful walk from there along the side of the lake to Canobio, but now beyond baths and breakfast he had no plan a person in shirt-sleeves and a green apron who inadequately represented the hall porter for it was not yet seven and the hall porter was still in bed unintelligently and unfortunately spoke to ingeborg of ingram in his hearing as monsieur votre père this strangely annoyed ingram it's your short skirt he said with suppressed sulphur you positively must get some clothes dressed like that you suggest perambulators but this is my best dress she protested it's quite new i mean i've never had it on before since it was made and with the easy tactlessness of one who has not yet learned to be afraid she looked at him and laughed why she said this morning i'm perambulators and only last night quite late last night i was the peace of god to this however he did not trust himself to reply but vanished with a kind of pounce into his bathroom he came to breakfast clean but in a mood that could bear nothing least of all good temper ingeborg was by nature good-tempered she sat there pleased and refreshed after all he remembered resentfully she had had five hours sleep in the train while he had not had a wink gaily making the best of things she pointed out the strength of the coffee and the crispness of the rolls she asked him if he did not think it a nice hotel she did not agree when he alluded to the waiter as blighted she predicted a break in the weather at eleven and said that it had always come true 
what her old nurse used to tell her, that rain at seven meant fine at eleven. He hated her old nurse. Until he had had some sleep, a long, steady sleep, he would, he knew, be nothing but jarred nerves. When, then, after breakfast, she inquired, with a cheerful air of being ready for anything, what they were going to do next, he briefly announced that he was going to sleep. "'Oh? Shall I have to go, too?' she asked, her face falling. "'Of course not.' Then she said eagerly, I'll go out and explore. What, in this rain? Oh, I've got galoshes. Galoshes. He retreated into his room. It annoyed him immensely that she should be not only ready but pleased to go out for her first walk in Italy without him. He threw himself angrily on the bed, rang the bell, and bade the person who answered it the same young man in shirt-sleeves and a green apron who had welcomed them tell madame that if he were not awake by luncheon-time she was not to wait for him but was to have luncheon at the proper hour just the same the young man sought out ingeborg in her room she was tugging on her galoshes one foot on a chair her face flushed with effort and expectancy monsieur votre père he began ce n'est pas mon père said ingeborg turning an amused face to him as she tugged monsieur votre mari quoi certainement pas said ingeborg who in spite of her prize for french was unacquainted with the refinements of that language ce n'est pas mon mari she said energetically repudiating ah monsieur n'est pas le mari de madame said the young man trippingly certainement pas said ingeborg mon mari est la maison ah tiens said the young man c'est mon ami said ingeborg ah tiens tiens said the young man and he delivered his message with a sudden ease and comfort of manner but though the young man's manner grew easy after his report of this brief dialogue the hotel manner grew stiff for on the slip of paper presented to ingram to be filled in with his name he had unaware of the things ingeborg was saying described himself and her as mr and mrs dobson and the hotel in which english church services were held and which was at that moment though the season was over being stayed in by several representative english spinsters and clergymen also from england with a wife and grown-up daughters most respectable nice ladies who all took him out every day twice once after breakfast and once after tea for a little walk the hotel decided putting its heads together in the manager's office that it would using tact encourage the dobsons to depart it could do nothing however for the moment for the lady had disappeared with an umbrella into the wet and the gentleman it could hear was sleeping and this condition of things continued for many hours the lady not coming into luncheon but remaining in the wet and the gentleman it could hear going on sleeping then it became aware that they were both having tea in a distant corner of the slippery windowed wilderness of bamboo chairs and tables described in its prospectus as the handsome palmy lounge and that they had drawn up a second table to the one their tea was on and piled it with undesirably dripping branches of yellow broom that grew high up in the hills and that they were being noticed with suspicion by the hotel's authentic guests who were used to having their tea in the silent stupor of the really married because the gentleman contrary to the observed habits of genuine husbands was talking to the lady instead of reading the daily mail the hotel was nothing if not competent 
it could handle any sort of situation competently from runaway couples to that most unpleasant form of guest of all the kind that come alive and went away dead full of tact it allowed the lady and gentleman to finish their tea undisturbed then it sent someone sleek to inform them that most unfortunately their rooms had been engaged for weeks beforehand for that very night and therefore but before this person could even begin to be competent the gentleman requested him to have a carriage round in half an hour as he intended going on that evening and thus the parting was accomplished as all partings should be urbanely and the manager was able to display his doorstep suavity and bow and wish them a pleasant journey the dobsons departed in a gay mood with the branches of yellow broom rhythmically nodding between them over the edge of the waterproof apron that buttoned them in ingram had slept soundly for seven hours and felt altogether renewed he was taking her to Canobio along the road he had hoped to walk with her in sunshine but ingeborg who had climbed hills till her blood raced and glowed saw peculiar beauties even in the wetness and would not believe that sun could make things lovelier outside locarno in that flat and grassy place beyond the town where the beautiful small hills draw back for a little from the lake and the ox-eyed daisies grow so big and the roads are strewn white with the blossoms of acacias it stopped raining and ingram had the hood put down the mountains on the other side of the lake were indigo colored with pulled off tufts of woolly clouds lying along them down near the water the lake was a steely black the valley brooded in sullen lushness and the branches of broom they carried with them in the carriage cut through the sombre background like a golden knife the one doubt i have said ingeborg breathing in the warm scented air in long breaths is that it's all too good to be true it isn't said ingram safely disentangled for a while from the intricate effect on his enthusiasms of fatigue and dirt and headaches it's absolutely good and absolutely true but only he said turning and looking at her because you're here you dear close sister of my dreams without you it would be nothing but a grey empty space in which i would just hang horribly you wouldn't you couldn't not be happy in this she said gazing about her if you weren't here i wouldn't see it said ingram firmly believing it in the face of the fact that nothing ever escaped his acute vision i see all this only through you you are my eyes without you i go blind i grope about with the light gone out you don't know what you are to me you little shining crystal thing you don't begin to realize it my dear my dear sweet found at last and this morning said ingeborg smiling at him but only with a passing smile on her way to all the other things she wanted to look at you said i suggested perambulators for a space they drove on in silence for he deplored her trick of reminding him of past moods but beyond ascona where the mountains come up to the lake and leave only just room enough between them and the water for the road to twist through he recovered again consoled by her joy in the beauty of the drive and unable to see her happiness without feeling pleased after all what he most loved in her was that she was so miraculously a child a child with gleams of wisdom flickering like a lizard's tongue in her mouth and who even when she was silly was silly also somehow in gleams gleams of silver and sunshine and always at the back of her far away hidden in what he thought of as depths of burning light was that elusive thing by which he was so passionately attracted 
the thing he was going to paint, the thing his own secret self crept to, knowing that there was warmth, here was understanding, her dear, dear little soul. The evening at Kenobia was unsatisfactory. Ingeborg manifestly enjoyed herself, but it was with an absorption in what she was seeing and an obliviousness to himself that seemed to him both excessive and tiresome. Here was everything to make two people so happily alone whisper, warmth, dusk, the broad shadow of plain trees, unruffled water, lights romantically twinkling in corners, the twanging of a distant guitar, laughter and singing and the glint of red wine from the little lit-up tables along the front of the restaurants beneath the arcade at the back of the piazza, and he there, Ingram, after all a person of real importance, Edward Ingram at her feet, only asking to be allowed to explain to her in every variety of phrase how sweet she was but she was dead to her opportunities there wasn't another woman in europe he told himself angrily who would not have whispered they wandered out of their hotel after dinner a square pink italian albergo facing the lake where the town left off and free as indeed Canobio altogether was from transitory english with their awful eyes and they strolled about looking at things he did not look much for he knew these italian sights and sounds by heart and at that moment only wanted to look at her but the least little thing caught her attention away from him absolutely to the exclusion of anything he might be saying positively she even preferred to listen to the throb of the steamer coming nearer from the other end of the lake than to him and she interrupted him in the middle of a sentence that intimately concerned herself to stand still in the piazza and ask him what he thought of the smells i don't think about them at all he said shortly oh but there are such a lot of them she exclaimed sorting them out with a lifted nose there's the smell of roses and the smell of lake and the smell of frying and there's more roses and then there's garlic and then there's a quite dim one and then there's a little puff of something else i don't know what sheer italy i expect i never smelt so many smells she ended with a gesture of astonishment he tried to get her away from them he led her to a bench beneath a plane tree come and sit by me and i will tell you things he said luring her look there's the moon got free from the clouds and do you see how the coloured lights of the steamer that's coming shine right down a ladder of light into the water and what do you think of the feel of the air little sister isn't it soft and gentle doesn't it remind you of all kind and tender things but much of the most wonderful of anything are these smells she said absorbed in them there are at least twelve different ones never mind them i want to talk but they're so amusing she said there are interesting ones and exciting ones and beautiful ones and disquieting ones and awful ones and too perfect for anything ones and they're all chasing each other up and down and round and round us he lit a cigarette there he said that will blot the whole lot of them into only one and you'll talk to me reasonably let us talk while we can my dear in a little time we shall be dead to all feeling forever and ever yes we shall be little shreds of rottenness she said placidly god who wastes a sunset every night he said getting up to stamp on the match he had thrown away if they were mine she interrupted i'd keep them all in a gallery or a portfolio understands i suppose he went on sitting down again why such dear things as this evening here this time of being alone together here should end and be forgotten as long as i live she said with earnestness it will not be forgotten 
all my other memories will be like a string of oh just beads and nuts and fir cones till i get to this one and then on the string there'll be suddenly a shining jewel really really he murmured stopping to look into her eyes revived by this speech little flame in my heart really oh said ingeborg dreamily in her husky soft voice but the wonderfulest thing the wonderfulest jewel my first italian town Canobio. End of section 14